Hi, welcome to Swordnut Radio. This episode is a catch-up to let you know what's been going on in our 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons campaign, Doors. Life has been a bit chaotic recently, and we haven't been recording the main sessions. There's a lot of reasons for that, but unfortunately that's going to continue. Some will get recorded, some won't, but we'll try and do episodes like this to catch you up so at least you know the story, and we'll talk about interesting things that happen mechanics-wise so that you can bring that to your game. We're also going to be releasing shorter episodes, whereas normally we would record a whole night session and then release that as one episode. We're going to be breaking those a bit further down to give me a bit more of a buffer and decrease some of the workload so that hopefully we'll have something most weeks. But just so you know, we're not going to stick to a strict release schedule. Most of that's down to some real life stuff that means that I'm just not going to have enough time to edit long shows every week like I used to. So on with the catch up. Hi, I'm Adam A. I usually play Gimbal, Gallo, Glass, Dwarven Bard. Uh, no, Miniature Bard. Because <laughs> he's not, definitely not a dwarf. No, no. <laughs> I was thinking of the new. I was thinking of a level ten character. That's why. <laughs> and Biddy. Hi, I'm Biddy. I play Rue, and I'm a human warlock. And you might also know me as Lord Robert, a human fighter. And also as the Cthulhu baby mama from Inspectors. Oh yeah. <laughs> the man whore. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I keep I keep on trying to just like wash that from my mind. So whenever anyone else tells me, it's like I'm remembering it for the first time. Do you know on Twitter we've had a few fan memes, but we've only had one fan hashtag, and that is booty in lieu of booty. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself out and say there is another Manchester-based RPG actual play podcast called How We Roll. If you look for HowWeRollPodcast.com, they're on there. You find them on SoundCloud. I recently guested on a couple of episodes, uh, which was like their end of season wrap up, like award show type thing, which is a lot of fun. That's out now. And then at some point, whenever the hell I can be asked to edit it, and then when they can be asked to put it up in their feed, there will be about two or three episodes worth of an inspector's game I played with them, uh, where they were worse than you lot. So <laughs> bloody hell, that must have taken some effort that they felt the pressure to perform. This will give you the, the flavour. Their outfit was called Ghost Cops, but it was G-O-S-T and Cops with a K. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Classy. Tonight, we're going to catch people up on the, on the plot that's happened so far. First off, we've got a catch-up biddy. Yes. But it, this is the catch-up since Bleakgate. That's the last episode that aired. We have been playing the main campaign, but the reason we've gone a bit quiet is that we've decided not to record our regular actual play anymore. Um, the reason for that is that, that some of the players um, were finding it less fun, you know, being under pressure to perform and, and realising there was an audience and all that sort of stuff. And if it's going to make it less fun for anyone, I don't want to do it. But also, um, I was snowed under with all of the, the work. So uh, a weekly release schedule is killing me, so um, I, I can't do it. Plus, I'm getting married in a month, so I have zero time to do this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, getting married and then, then going on a honeymoon for a couple of weeks. So uh, you guys have to figure out what to do without me. You know, I'm just trying to figure out what the gaming oh. equivalent of bros before hose is. <laughs> is it knaves before wenches? Mm, quite possible. We'll, we'll catch people up on what happened since Bleakgate, so this would be interesting. So this is how much... Adam has absorbed, or how much Adam and Biddy have absorbed out of the game. <laughs> so, what what happened? Uh, Bleakgate, uh, people are unresolved. They don't know what happened with Bleak. Bleakgate Bleak was the, the fireside chat where we had to try and convince Bleak to stay. So he, he'd gone a bit nuts, 
So as you're having the fireside chat, he just got nuts and tried to, well, he did eat a squirrel and then tried to eat gimbal. G- gimbal. And then sort of half-heartedly tried to murder Rue. And, and he was striding towards a horse to, to, to get the hell out of town. So what happened in the, in the, in the story? Well, on that particular day, we managed to talk him round. We all had a crack at it, really, and I believe it was Carahad that made the biggest impact on him, and I really wish Tom was here now, because I can't <clears> remember <throat> the exact way in which he did it. Well, it was, it was Carahad and Gimbal, I think, mm. with a bit of GM intervention, because what was going on was that um, Mike and I talked a lot about Bleak. Bleak was a very well-developed character. Um, in, in Mike's mind, it's that trap you get into. If you've got a really well-developed character before you come to the table, then what happens at the table might not be what they want to do. So, I mean, I had to put a lot of, you know, carrots and sticks, um, in Bleak's path to sort of get them, get him moving. But what he, what he told me was that he had no moral compass. And so he, he, what he does is he picks up people who he thinks are good people. Gimbal and Carahad being two of those. And he, says, okay, that person's going to be my conscience. So if they say that this thing is okay, then it's okay. And if they say it's not, it's not. With Gimbal, I think he was trying to, he was sort of muddying him up a little bit. Where with Carahad, it was kind of like, well, he's very much um, a Jiminy Cricket for him. Carahad mm. was just sort of trying to calm him down. And, I, and then I think a lot of people were blanking about what was going on. And so I had this idea that it's actually taken from, from Call of Cthulhu. It's an idea role. And... You, you make an intelligence check or a wisdom check or something like that. And based on that, I, as DM, will remind you, the player, about things that have happened that your characters should probably know. So it's not me just railroad, uh, railroading you. It's you making a role, and thus I can give you a certain amount of information. And Gimbal made an idea role. Or was it, well, Adam made an uh, idea role for Gimbal and came up trumps. And so I just reminded him that Bleak's problem was all these weird things happening around you guys, and he was blaming Rue for it. But I just reminded him that you have known each other for months, and this is the first time weird shit's really been going on, certainly to Bleak. And that was what made the difference, that sort of the the point of logic being, no, pay attention. You're having a knee-jerk reaction to this, and you want to run away, but really, we're all in it together. No, yeah, you're right. It basically convinced him that up until this point, I had been okay. And it was only, yeah, it was that that had changed his opinion of me. Mm. He was forgetting what had happened previously, yeah. So everyone went to sleep that night. Um, I think he went, had a bit of alone time, but he did come back. And everyone leveled up. And what I was intending to do, if he was showing a, an inclination towards going towards his dark side i was going to start giving him things like um i I want all of you to have something unique and and interesting so i was giving him i was either going to give him something to do with tapping into his feral instincts to say he can dip into it but there's a risk but it's a massive bonus or he might end up doing something out of control um but he sort of calmed down a lot so i ended up giving him sort of plus one daggers so his daggers, which are already sort of magical in that they're made of obsidian, um, and yet don't break all the time, which we sort of put down to his skill that he doesn't, you know, do blade on blade contact, that they just became a lot sharper and harder so that they wouldn't break. So that, that you know, you, there's something magical about all of you guys and it's not just the casters who have this magic coalescing around them. Gimbal has a magic harp now, which does some healing magic. 
or at least what it what it does is uh, he he can cast. He, it's not healing word. It's uh, it's one of the ones that costs a, a slot, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was um, cure light wounds or something like that. Cure wounds. Yeah. Yeah. So you you can now cast that a few times a day. You don't know how many, but uh, you can cast that a few yeah. times a day as if you expended a slot. Spells, and yeah, and that's important. It's as if you'd spent a slot, so you can spend higher level slots. Mm-hmm. The, the you know the harp is is something that, that Gimbal goes to all the time. So I thought I'd reward that role playing with um, some stuff coming out of it. It was level three, so everyone got their archetype. So Karahad became a battlemaster, and we have we have. Uh, tried to to get him to understand that and i think he's <laughs> he's, he's on the cusp um it, it got to the stage that i just chose random things for him, random tricks for him um in a side game that we played um which will be published the conyers caves game which is coming up soon which is where we had all the same character stats we, we took our character sheets basically and just reskinned them as new characters for a little side game I, I just said oh have you figured out your tricks yet because i knew what with what i had planned if he hadn't then you'd all die so <laughs> And he said, well, no, you're having these. Uh, and then based on that, he's had to figure it out. So he's, he's worked out how that works. Biddy got himself a little dragon. So he, you've gone packed yeah, to the chain. Pa- packed to the chain, indeed. My uh, little fuss. Uh, <laughs> P-H-U-S. And it's taken me how long to get that? Rue fuss? Rue fuss? Uh, Every- uh, yeah, everyone yeah. else got that really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't uh, know. Did, did everyone? Adam, did you get that? Yeah, pretty quick. Oh, okay, fair enough. Because I, I was saying in the, in the last game, I was saying, oh, this is, I've just figured this out, Rufus, because I was doing the um, initiative orders. Mm. And then everyone, everyone else was looking at me like I'm the dumbest person on the planet. <laughs> so, yeah, what's what's Fuss? Tell the people. Fuss is a little pseudo-dragon who is small. I think he's about the size of a cat, isn't he? He's like a tiny creature. Yeah. And um, can shrink. Yes, you can, you can shrink down from about the size of a mouse or something about it like that so you can put him in your pocket if you really wanted to and he's pocket dragons yeah he's green and blue and twinkly and adorable <laughs> and uh is psychic as well yes adam what what path did you choose eventually ah, you, you always ask me these things <laughs> was it you was... said i wouldn't need my character sheets damn it well, yeah, I'm really hoping know. I don't need mine, actually. Mine's in the car. You should remember. <laughs> uh, so, did you go College of Valor or uh, College of Law, I think it is? I think I went with Law, but I'm just trying to find it. I know I wrote it down on my character sheet. The question is where, because I've got things on the back, in the margin. <laughs> no, I think, I, think you went, I think you went College of Law. I think you went um, Knowledge Bard, rather than, or Skills Bard, rather than Fight Your Bard. Yes, College of Law. It's on my spell casting sheet. Bleak went for Assassin, which he was always going to do. I think that was fairly obvious from the start. Um, everyone's going to get something eventually. Everyone's going to get some cool things eventually. But I thought the, the two things where you end up getting a, a host of extra powers or a familiar or whatever, it, it was a bit much to overload you with. Here's some magic stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. So after Bleakgate, after he's, he's calmed down, he's. Uh, I think everyone talked to him and said, Lerner, you've got to get with the programme. Yeah, I think I remember in the conversation, Karahad was basically trying to be his, like, his mood regulator. He was trying to calm him down. Yeah. And Gimbal was very much acting like the voice of reason, like, cause it, cause I was, like you said, Gimbal rolled for, like, the history thing. Gimbal was very much like, remember that we've been together for ages. This has only happened recently. You're focusing on Rue because you don't get on with him, sort of thing. 
Um, and like his, his character obviously had to accept the truth of that, even though he wasn't happy with it. And even though he was a bit like on edge because of like his, ex- his experience of like nearly eating me. <laughs> yeah. I really don't think Rue was helping the situation much anyway, because he, uh, Rue was pretty much ready to blow his kneecaps off if that was what was required to make sure he didn't, he didn't leave. Yeah. Mm. That, that probably didn't help with the fact no. that Rue was like, I have to look after you and I have to follow you and keep you alive. That doesn't mean that you have to be able to walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was non-specific in your condition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, considering that Bleak seems a bit paranoid saying that, He's got these great spooky voices in the sky telling Rue to follow him everywhere. It's probably not a good idea. Yeah. The other thing from that evening was the Black Pebble. So yeah. Rue was trying to cast an Eldritch Blast and had it readied, and so there's it, the way you've flavoured it is it's purple. But you were holding onto that pebble at the time, and so it came out with black. Okay. Then you, you went to sleep, everyone sort of levelled up, as it were, and then... Uh, people had some weird dreams, and one the weird dream that Rue had, he was in like a marsh or something. He was kind of very quickly pulled out of that by his patron, and given some protection. And the next morning, Fuss is there. This little dragon is on his chest, kind of thing. So there was a bit of a oh my god, what's that going on? Especially with with Bleak being like, no, fine, okay. Look, we, we had this discussion last night. Weird things happen. Let's move past it. Because he kind of wanted to kill fuss as soon as it appeared thinking it's a scaly thing we've been fighting scaly things but one of the interesting things is that um for the first like 24 hours i was role-playing fuss yeah uh, now how how fuss communicates to you is up to you now it's completely up to you whether it's you know shapes and emotions and, and stuff like like an animal would or whether it's words um you know or, or or his level of intelligence you know that's up to you but as i was doing it um he was speaking in sort of broken sentences it's like it's how i imagine my cat would speak <laughs> uh, and one of the things he said is keep the half walk away and none of you knew what one of those was yeah because i actually directly asked bleak what the hell this this thing's telling me you're half orc what the hell is that and he went very pale mm. at that didn't he yeah well he, he didn't have a clue either but it was just like someone knows something mm. but it, it kind of it calmed down um, and everyone, you know, got got hitched up and got moving. You got up, uh, broke camp, and made your way through the landscape. And I'm just going to tell you now, I've been giving you some important hints about the landscape, so I'm going to drop them now. Is that um, it's all crinkly, uh, crusty stone underfoot, and I've I said pumice a couple of times. This is all kind of scratchy, tinkly stone underfoot, and you came up to. The Great Big Dyke. Now, those people who've listened to the fake games that you, you guys played mm. should recognise that. So there's this there's this huge dyke, a you know, bank and ditch, and it's a, there's a, you know, a few breaks in it and, and some places where it's been crossed over. But it seems fairly whole, and you guys were, were there. You saw like the aftermath of the, the crossing. Uh, you know, some planks left uh, where you know maybe some, some of the carts got a bit stuck. And... One of the things that Rue can do now with, with his packed invocations is he can cast Detect Magic at will, which is an immensely brilliant thing. I think there's there so many damn hints. Just get it done, get it done. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think you can play this game without it. Uh, just generally D&D, you, you need Detect Magic. So the dike itself was just awash with magical power, something to do with protection, you know, abjuration magic. 
and it extended underneath and around it and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, and through the air where it no longer existed physically, you know, where, where the bank had eroded or, or been taken down. So you came up on there and you walk along there. And one of the things as well was that on the Kotev or the Kotevari side of the, the dike, there were these random boulders, like glacial randoms, but these sort of big, dark basalt uh, rocks. Literally, randomly, one could be like half a mile away, another one like 500 metres away or whatever it's going to be. So you had a look at some of those and they were just randomly shaped bits of rock. And you walked down this bank with Fuss as your guide up in the air after sort of figuring out that it's it, it's hard to walk and look through the eyes of a dragon while he's flying at the same time. Yeah. So you sort of tied yourself to someone on a horse. And then... Yeah, yeah. We found nothing interesting about the stones on the Kotev side. But as we were going down the bank, we came across basically a big chunk of ice. It turned out to be um, a person encased in ice, which we, tr- we tried to sort of melt and hack free and instead ended up breaking in half. Yeah. Think, sorry, I was just going to say one of the important things about the ice was the way in which it had formed. In the, On the front of him, it was quite thin. But then at the back of him, there were essentially icicles coming off horizontally. So almost mm. like the icicles had formed in like a gale yeah. instead of coming down. So it was obviously something that had blasted him with, with ice, maybe. But I mean, out, out of character, I mean, that's that's what I assume had happened to him. But in character, I think it was just such a bizarre thing. I, I don't think we knew what to make of it. But um, yeah, yeah, defrosting him didn't go particularly well. Well, uh, some of you try to set a fire. Which, which I thought was, was kind of the way to go. Uh, and then Bleak was also trying to chip him out of there, which was also a, a pretty sensible thing to do. Um, you know, chip him from the back where it was thickest. But he specifically said that, uh, Mike specifically said that Bleak was kind of like losing patience and was hitting things a bit harder. So, you know, he was going for it. And I just had him roll a few things to see how it went. He broke it. <laughs> yeah. Very much like so. Just literally yeah. the top half fell off. <laughs> this is why you can't have nice things. Yeah, it was pretty much at that point, because all the way up until this point, we were like, well, maybe he's alive in there. Perhaps we can get him out and ask him some questions. It was like, oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you'll never know. Yeah. But you know, either of those you know, may have worked, may not have worked. You know, it's, it's, it's some good little problem-solving stuff going there. But one of the things that came out was that you used the opportunity to have a rest, and you sort of passed around this black pebble i mean what, what did you think of that what, what what went on and what did you think about it well none of us at the po- at that point had even guessed what what the pebble was and what its relation was to the story which we'll obviously be getting into a bit later on in this discussion but yeah so it was showing us images of swampland and um specifically saying to us i can give you power and it was like tempting us essentially now in my case fuss actually started like hitting it with his head and trying to get it out of my hand and started you know projecting this danger stay away from this this is not safe thing so i kind of pretty much stopped it quite away but and i believe Carahad responded really well to it in the sense of he wasn't like tempted by it it was it, its effects didn't really bother him mm-hmm. it was more um uh bleak and gimbal that were being affected to it how, how did it affect you Gimbal was curious, obviously, in his experiences with Bleak to this point, starting to get to the point where he's uh, naturally starting to get suspicious of anything he doesn't know or, you know, hasn't seen before. So this this new thing speaking, like a, a rock speaking in his head, 
he was curious to know more, but wasn't ready to uh, basically take that step to find mm. out what it was referring to at this point. Uh, I, th- quite, I think. Sorry, sorry. I was oh. just going to say that that's quite a big character development for you because I mean, when you first started off, you were. I mean, if a giant dragon had arrived in the middle of the square, your first reaction probably would have been, "Oh, perhaps we can be friends." Yes, pretty much. <laughs> so... um, this, is, this is this is one of the, this is one of the things with Gimbal. Like I said, he started out very happy-go-lucky, very naive, but I didn't know how it was going to go at first. It was just because, obviously, with Mike's character Bleak, um, his attitude, his reactions, uh, and the things that he did, they were starting to effectively wear on Gimbal and sort of like jade his view of the world. Like, obviously, not everybody is a, a friendly, happy, nice, and get along kind of person like I am. Mm. We're, we're seeing um, a good arc from Gimbal at the moment. You know, his, he's, he's very quickly kind of being exposed to danger um, and people who are effective in danger as well. I mean, Bleak is very effective when there's danger around, but he is not a hero. Whereas I think Gimbal's in the sense of, you know, everyone who does good things should be heroes and nice and all that sort of stuff and friendly. So it's, it's, you know, he's getting, he's getting around that idea. But also I think in terms of the, the pebble, one of the things that happened during that uh, incident was that um, Rue's patron actually directly stepped in, I think for the very first time while he was conscious and just said, no, you're mine. Put that down. Yes, he did, didn't he? Or mm. she did, or it did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, had had a bit of a rest, had a bit of a discussion, and 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 toddled off, having killed this guy. But you know, you figured out who it was, didn't you? Who who the icicle was? Yeah, we figured out it was Taff Tanner, the Tanner's boy that, mm. that had been on the list of people taken from. Uh... Sorry, Adam, we've lost you there. Hello. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> okay. We've lost Adam. So yeah, it was it was Paf Tanner, who was one of the characters you guys had generated in the Fate game, but hadn't played. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you managed managed to identify him by his smell and that sort of stuff. So you guys decided to toddle on to wherever the trail would take you. Yes, which took you off of the the, the King's Dyke mm-hmm. into Kotev proper and on the main sort of trade road. So you guys toddled off towards the nearest town you could find, and you still don't know what it's called. Uh, no, no. You've not asked. And gone to the nearest tavern, which is the Broken Axle Tavern. So you went in and... Well, that was um, Rue Bleak and Carahad at that point, because Gimbal had gone off to do a bit of shopping, I believe. He had indeed, yeah. He he toddled off and and decided that he would try and get some uh, bits and pieces for metalworking because he's been whittling away and probably hasn't had much success on it. So now he wants to to go and get some things for making metal things. We we still haven't come clean on his race, have we? And we're not going to. <laughs> so Fair enough. so he he's going to get some some little metalworking supplies and he managed to do that. And he noticed that people were moving, and uh, eventually put two and two together and noticed that people were moving towards the tavern. And what did he find? You, you tell me. You tell me what happened. Because <laughs> it was well, a clusterfuck. <laughs> we were enjoying a nice little quiet drink. I don't think anyone at this point was particularly paying that much attention to us. They were definitely aware of us and had us in the corner of their eye, but they weren't actively observing us or anything. And then the uh, the waitress, not the waitress, the, the bar woman comes over and starts having a chat with us. And she was way too friendly way 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 too friendly too cheerful too chirpy too 
What's he want from? She's just nice. Well, mm, I don't know. I was suspicious, to be honest. I was very suspicious. And you hadn't remembered a name either. No, no, I haven't. Totally haven't. Because <laughs> um, if you'd have remembered names and things, you'd have remembered her name on the day. You've met her before. Oh, have we? Yeah, your characters haven't. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, no, definitely didn't remember that in that case. <laughs> this was uh, Frida, who appeared oh, in, the, in the fake yes. games as the, the nice cultist. Yeah. Okay, fair enough then. So anyway, so we're all sat around the table, and Rue suddenly realised that we hadn't really come up with a reason for being there, and we were definitely outsiders, so we needed some excuse. So I kind of asked her to, to go away for five minutes so I could have a quick word with the table. And then I very quickly tried to, to, to say to the table, look, we're in enemy territory, we're in this village, this is where the army stopped, so they've obviously come through here and they've got some kind of connection. We need to be here for a reason. We need to try and, you know, come up with something. And while we were trying to have this conversation, Frida came back. Before any of us could get anything properly done, Bleak just decided to say, we're following an army that, and just basically told everyone why we were there. Hmm. Uh, no, no kind of like hiding it, no kind of putting any kind of spin on it. Rue desperately tried to, to claw a bit of control back by saying that we were cell swords and we were looking to join the army as, as a reason as to where we were there. But at this point, everyone in the room is looking at us and if, and kind of starting to move in on us, feeling very hemmed in. The cliffhanger line. Yeah. Was it, in fact, no, it wasn't that, was it? Uh, no, yeah, the, no, the cliffhanger line in that particular one was, um, so we have no need of an army, we have family. Yes, that was it. Yeah. So it kind of fades to black as it's, as all these people kind of get up out of their seats and you're looking around like, oh shit. At that point, it was, it was all sort of going south. And, uh, we were actually doing this session in a pub, so we sort of called it short after a little while. It was mm. getting too noisy. So, we, strangely, we're doing a, a thing, a role-playing thing in a tavern and we're playing in a pub. So they're, they're all stood up and kind of thinking, what's going on here? And I think at that point, Bleak, uh, all, all of you were trying to be subtle about sort of, yes, we know we're now targets, but we're, we're not going to make this erupt at all. We're going to try everything we can to, to, to delay the inevitable. So, I think one of the things was that um, Rue started trying to talk to people. Gimble started trying to do a bit of a show for people to get up and start juggling and distract people. He kind of came in on us when there were a lot more people had come into the pub and they were all kind of crowded around us and he instantly knew there was a problem. So he came in and there were loads around. He just, he he did a check, noticed everything's going on because he was oblivious up to this point and just went, right, they need a distraction. So he started performing. Which was great. Mm. So Bleak used the opportunity to just excuse himself to the to the loo while everyone was mesmerised by this. I think he rolled a nat twenty as well. Yeah, so he was nailing it. Yeah, every, everyone was absolutely mesmerised, at least temporarily, while he was doing his thing. And uh, Bleak sort of made his excuses to go to the loo, and he went to the loo, but someone followed him, mm. and they 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 went in with him. So uh, one person went actually went in with him. Yeah, and Bleak being Bleak, instead of just, you know, getting on with it and going, 
ah, well, this hasn't worked, decided to pull a knife on this guy hmm. and just, you know, try and get information out for him. And it just wasn't happening because <laughs> this guy was, you know, just being all, oh, you know, sorry, friend, and, you know, oh, well, I can't really tell you anything, but uh, just, despite the fact he's got a knife to his throat, he was a bit too calm and placid about the entire thing. A lot of that was, was bleak was failing roles. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, badly. <laughs> And, um, he did get some out of him. Like, he, he did all the stealth checks, alright, so no one knew what was going on in there. But he wasn't intimidating this guy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, or, so, so what I played that was, was that he was, uh, he didn't really know a lot at all. You know, he wasn't a well-informed person. But he was genuinely at peace. It's that sort of cult kind of thing where he knows everything's gonna be okay because someone's looking after him. He, he was just trying to be all nicey-nicey because he believes, and also, there was no leadership around, so he's not going to act on his own initiative and do something stupid. It was kind of a bad night, actually, for that, because despite Gimbal's epic role with the entertaining people on the table, pretty much everyone else after that point was rolling badly. So, I mean, Rue was busy trying to kind of, like, get the crowd enthused with it by, like, starting clapping. Uh, actually, it was a minor illusion he did to try and make it sound as if someone was clapping to get everyone else doing it, and it just bombed. Yeah. <laughs> um, Everyone's looking around going, who's clapping? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything we're trying was just, just really wasn't working, and yeah, just trying to keep it calm, because we knew we were in a room with like 20-odd people, and there was only like four of us, and we were going to get mm. our houses handed to us, probably. And there's more people coming in all the time. Yeah, yeah. So, so then, um, I think the final cliffhanger was that one particular person walked into the room. Yes. A um, big blue lizard guy, uh-huh. basically, who we uh, found out was the uh, shadow of the blue. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's, it's not um, a surprise to anyone that it's a half dragon. So he he walked in, immediately was talking to you guys, and something <laughs> something happened to change what was about to happen. Because in my head, this was going to be a bloodbath. This is going to be, how do you guys get out of here? And I had maps, and I had all sorts of stuff for what would happen if you guys got out. And you well, decided to do... well. There were, there were two things happening simultaneously, in that he was in the room talking to us. <laughs> he was in the room talking to us, and he was also inquiring where our missing member was. And uh, Bleak was being a member, <laughs> because he decided to try and kill... The guy that had followed me into the bathroom. Well, he was he was very interested in a way out, and Mike was asking me very specific questions about how the loo here was built. And yeah, it was, it was yeah. on the ground floor, so there was a shit pit underneath it. And I think he was asking for an escape route, because um, it, well, as an archaeologist, I know how medieval toilets are built. And he was counting on that, so thinking, well, it's not going to be plumbing. It's going to be he's going to know there's going to be a route out or something. Um, but as it turned out, it, it was a shit pit that just accumulated, and then you dig it out, and you know, um, rather than it being um, like on the on the first floor or something, or there being a, a room underneath that people would go in to dig out the effluent and to use as fertilizer and stuff. So um, he sort of looked in and found that it, there was stuff in there. But yeah, you you tell the people because I don't want to do it. <laughs> so yeah, he he pretty much I can't remember quite what he did. Did he punch him or knock him out or something, and then try to stuff him head first? down the toilet, the privy, the shit pit, whatever the hell you want to call it, and got him stuck. Yeah, um, he, he sent him head first. 
And I, I believe there was bubbling, gurgly noises from mm-hmm. from the depth of this pit, and lots of twitching and shaking, and then a very still body. And meanwhile, every single one of his mates who has stood outside trying to break this door down, and no one <laughs> rolling more than a five to break this damn door down. And I was thinking, look, an eight will do it. An eight is fine. But no, absolutely not. So as this blue lizard guy walks in, things happen very, very quickly. So this is happening concurrent with this blue lizard guy walking in. Yeah. And uh, he basically doesn't break stride, and Rue had sent Fuss to hide across the other side of the room, which he'd managed to do. He was specifically... I'd sent him across the room to try and um, find a way into this room where Bleak was, just so he could find out what was happening with him. Uh, you know, to try and figure out, did, did he need help? Uh, could we get a message to him? And we, he couldn't find a way in. And uh, as this blue guy strolled across the room, I was trying to send Fuss up over the rafters where he wouldn't be seen. And he just clocked wind of him and it just completely threw him off his stride. Hmm. He just went from kind of like, oh, I, I, I'm the, the, the shit to, oh, what the fuck's that? And at which point everyone had seen him, seen Fuss and there was no point in hiding him. So I brought him back to me and just had him sat on my shoulders and it just seemed to completely alter this guy's entire attitude. Hmm. Absolutely. And that, that to me changed how that whole scenario is going to play out. Suddenly, you're not just these guys, you're not just the Scooby gang who need eliminating. Something is going on with you and he needs to know what it is and can it be turned to his advantage? Because, I mean, you guys at that point didn't know anything about the structure of this, this group, this cult. Even while you were doing the fake games and seeing the inside of it, then you were only seeing a certain strata. You were seeing the shadow of the white. Mm. And you may have heard the shadow of the black as well. Uh, I think you put two and two together and decided that, that that was the guy you'd killed. So then the shadow of the blue turns up and like, oh, right, okay, fair enough. And But they're all talking about being equal and they're all talking about family. And... Yeah, I was going to say, we didn't actually put two and two together with the shadow of the black until the shadow of the blue brought out his own pebble and we were like, holy fuck, we've killed one of mm. these guys already and we didn't even realise it. So that's jumping the gun a little bit. So you well, guys yeah, yeah. decided to sit down. And, and for this, I had a bit of lead time. So I decided uh, we were going to try a social combat thing out. And mm. I've, I've seen a lot of people play a lot of different things with formal social combat rules. Uh, if Fate was was a, a guide for me. Also, um, Burning Wheel was a bit of a guide for me. Um, I'm thinking specifically about some stuff that the uh, Rufsat gamers did where they have a battle of wits. So not just a one role versus another, um, and that decides things. If you want to change something about someone, or it, it, indeed another player, and change their core beliefs to try and get them to go along with you, then it's a, a battle of wits or a duel of wits, and there are specific rules for it. Um, so I was trying to kind of crowbar that in, again with the idea of like social hit points, maybe. Because mm. I think that if you can kill an NPC, or an NPC can kill you, why can't they change your mind? And I, and I tweeted about that, and Chris Perkins, the legendary Chris Perkins, actually did respond. They said, well, as far as he's concerned, the player choice is king, and the players have control over their characters, and that is it. I mean, there, there, is, a, there is a certain wisdom to that, but I was thinking, right, if we all buy into this and say, let's have a social combat, but the idea is, um, if someone else wins a social combat, your character is convinced. You're on board. You know what I mean? Um, or you can do what you want with it, but you're going along with what is happening. You've lost that social combat. 
you know, um, it's not even going to be a sense of, oh, I've lost the social combat, right, daggers out. It's, no, you're on board. You don't want to fight because this is your outcome and you're happy with it. We tried that and that was interesting. The good outcome was that instead of everyone making checks, you know, all the time, it was one person was making the point in the argument and you sort of had to decide who that person was at any given time. Um, and the other two in the room uh, were helping. Oh, sorry, the other three were helping or hindering. So they would roll their checks as to whether they would give you advantage or give you a plus two. And they could figure out what they were doing and they had their choice of what they were doing. Sometimes what they wanted to do, because they all had to state your, your intention, what they were doing would hinder what you were doing if, if your yeah. goals were at odds. And I think that worked out all right. Um, but I think we used it in the wrong context. We should really use it in a sense where characters are arguing. Um, you know, like, like Bleakgate, we should have used that yeah. sort of thing then. Because um, I've got to admit, I, I kind of, I, yeah, like I said, I, th- I think it's got a lot of potential as a, uh, game mechanic, but I kind of felt like I got a bit boned. Because that was on, uh, in an absolutely rare situation, uh, and I think it must just solely because I wasn't using my own dice. I was rolling really well that night, and I hmm. managed to get through that entire thing without losing a single social hit point. Yeah, uh, but, but but then your character is a charisma-based character, and yeah. it's, it is very socially orientated the way you built him. So yeah, I was I was doing incredibly well in that respect, but yeah, I still kind of felt like I lost the 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 social discussion battle. Yeah, because most people's stated goals were they wanted to get out, mm. and not just get out in a, in a firefight, but be allowed to leave. So that was the thing they had to agree on. You wanted to get out and to have information. Gimbal just wanted to get out. Bleak just wanted information. He wasn't really concerned about getting out. So you all had different DCs to hit. Uh, and that, that was my reasoning. Based on what... Uh, it was Zinath, the um, the Shadow of the Blue called Zinath. What his goals were and how difficult it would be to convince him of those. So you all had different DCs to hit. What happened was for something a little bit unexpected in that when you, we set those things up, it's kind of, it's almost a binary statement. It's either his goals get met or yours do. So either he's going to convince you of something or you're going to convince him. So one of you is going to win or not. And what ended up happening was that as we kept rolling and as we kept going with these rounds of, of social combat, You'd make a point and I'd make a point and we ended up coming to an agreement and sort of coming in and, and, and meeting in the centre. Yeah, it's pro- actually, it's probably at this point it's worth actually saying how the conversation went in the, um, he sat us down and basically put the proposition to us that, um, he was one of numerous shadows of colours and although they were all equal, some were more equal than others and he wanted to be the most equal. Hmm. And he essentially wanted to enlist our help in doing that. But it was important that it would be on the, on the down low, because yes. as far as everyone else in that organization is concerned, everyone is equal no matter what. Mm. And it's a, a, it's a secret that there are, there is a hierarchy within the shadows. I think, I think what took us all a little bit by surprise was the fact that, um, despite the fact we were doing this social combat in which we were trying to be convinced by this guy, Actually, we were all just convinced anyway. Hmm. We actually all kind of were looking at each other going, well, you know, we don't really have any 
huge obligation towards the people who have hired us to do the job, which is to get these people back. As part of the conversation, we agreed with him that anyone who wants to return is free to do so, and anyone who doesn't want to isn't going to return, no matter what we do anyway. Mm. Um, so we kind of felt, wow, we've kind of we've kind of achieved that, and what was promised to us. Alright, it's not bad, but then again, we could be part of some kind of organization that's taking over the world that potentially has got way more, you know, benefits. Hmm. And as soon as, yeah. And Karahad wasn't there to talk sense into, so Tom wasn't there. Well, we, I, I did, I did <laughs> specifically try and at one point say, look, let's at least take him, his opinion into account. And actually, his, his sole reward for, uh, going on this quest to save these people was to make sure that the, uh, the Oak family were looked after when they got back. You know, he wasn't wanting any kind of cash reward or anything personal out of it, so that's what he wanted to achieve, and he was going to be achieving that with the agreement we'd made. Hmm. And for the rest of us, I certainly... Uh, Rue's character is all about new things, new experiences, and stuff like that, and, you know, getting involved with a cult is, you know, pretty new. <laughs> so, you know, he, he was totally up for that. Bleak was intrigued by a promise of knowledge, um, yeah, he was because he was saying that he, he'd seen someone who had changed. I mean, Zinath dropped on him that he didn't always look like that. So he once was a normal person, and he changed, and he gained power from it. And he he was sort of hinting that he could help Bleak, or or that um, he was you know it, it, it was something it was, and actually no no it didn't imply that he could help him. He was just say he was just saying you know. Um, there are some changes and you might gain power. And I think he was more saying, you know, you can change to, to, to what I am and you can change power and you, you, you can gain yeah. power. Sorry. So, but Bleak obviously read that into himself thinking I'm changing into something. Maybe it can help me with this. So you guys all went into a private room and to discuss things out, out of the, the earshot of the rest of the cult. You all went in there. And at this point, Tom had rejoined us. So, yes. um, in fact, no, he hadn't, had he? No. No, 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 yeah, no, so, so he wasn't here yet. So, the, so the Shadow of the Blue got his stone out. It's a blue mm. stone, blue pebble. And it, it sort of matched the look of the other one, just sort of got it out and put it there. And he says, I think you've met the Shadow of the Black. And I think it was pretty obvious. I mean, he was looking at Karahad's pack where you'd stored the pebble. So it's yeah. pretty obvious that you can feel where these things are. And so at that point you, you cop to it, but Bleak just out of nowhere just decided to get up and touch this pebble. And he had the same message, except his vision was of a desert. So, um, from that he just went, I'm in. <laughs> Straight yeah. away. He just, he just bought into that. And you guys had reached that, uh, reached an agreement where you were going to help Zinath, the Shadow of the Blue, take out the Shadow of the White. Um, and it'd be, it'd be very, very vital that you guys not meet the Shadow of the White socially before this, because you'd kill the Shadow of the Black and they were lovers. So she would know because she'd sense the pebble, she'd sense this object and know that you wouldn't have been able to take that off him willingly. So she'd just go nuts. And, uh, the Shadow of the Red and the Shadow of the Green aren't in town. So you're going to take out the Shadow of the White, and that, that's your deal, is that you, you take out these guys, starting with the Shadow of the White, and you do so secretly, um, so that, you know, the, the rest of the cult can't really tie 
you guys and what, you know, there's no one's going to know that you did it for a start. I mean, they might suspect, but no one's going to know you did it. Um, you're deniable. Um, and even if you're caught, he, he can, he can deny it all. But, um, you know, he, so he wants that kind of clandestine nature going on. And I think it was fairly obvious that he wants one of you to take up the shadow of the black and become the shadow of the black. And on, and, and so, so you, from your guys' standpoint is well, that, that you agreed sorry. on the basis that the prisoners would be released. Yeah. Um, and well, those who wanted to return would return and that you would get to talk to all the people who wanted to come back and the people who didn't as well, just to make sure that everything was kosher. Yeah. It was actually specifically the black stone that uh, Bleak was touching when he said, yep. So whereas previously we'd all touched it and we'd had this voice kind of go, oh, we can give you power, I can give you power. This time around he just went, yep, okay, go. <laughs> just mm. totally accepted it. Um, well, no, that, that, was a, that, was a, that was a touch later. I mean, he touched the blue pebble and mm. he said, okay, I'm in. Um, but you guys just left the room and Bleak, on the way out, lifted the pebble from Karahad's pack. And as you're walking over to this guy's pad to kind of seal the deal, as it were, he looked at the pebble and just went into it. So, you know, uh, there was no saving throw. There was, he just went for it and took the shadow of the black. He met the shadow of the black and his vision was of diving down through this swamp yeah, into a tunnel. Yeah, it was far more detailed, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, much more detailed. So he had a vision of himself uh, or sort of looking out and diving down into this swamp and swimming through this tunnel and coming up into a cave where there was you know, sort of torches around and this huge mound of treasure and a, a big shadow sat on top of it and it just went straight into him. At that point, you, you went into this guy's house. He just did that as he was walking. And so at that point, you'd gone to this guy's house and you got a few more details and uh, sort of, you know, the lay of the land and, and whatnot. But the big thing was that you met Alex Nordain from the Fake Games. We did indeed. Hmm. Uh, oh, Alex Nordian, sorry. You met Alex Nordian from the Fate Games. And he said hello and said, you know, I, I, I'm actually, I'm staying. I like it here. And was perfectly fine to you guys. And you guys decided to sort of pander to him a little bit, saying, oh, don't I know you? You know, don't have a, you know, uh, weren't you a poet type? Of, and sort of let him lead you in the conversation a little bit. And he sort of went very flustered and, um, well, not flustered. He went even very sort of like, uh, preening himself and going, oh, you've heard of me and all that, and, mm. and decided to reel off some poetry for you. And halfway through the poetry, he just zoned out completely. Eyes rolled uh, back into his head and he came out with this prophecy, which until now has been obscured. And the prophecy was, the blood of dragons will open the ways between worlds. And then he sort of zones back in again. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, there you go. Bit of poetry for you. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, everyone sort of you know gives him the golf clap and uh, oh yeah, great, cheers. Not weirded out with that at all. At this point, Mike got obsessed with making Reuben sandwiches in character. So I think he was just he had Reuben's on the brain. Um, I I think did he? I think yeah. that might we might be heading heading into territory where I wasn't present for this. Oh no, yeah, this this is where you went now. Okay, so um, okay, See, yeah, but we pretty much left it with. Yeah, the last thing I remember really is that that conversation with him, uh, with with Alex, and then. So I yeah. got that prophecy on you, and then that was the cliffhanger. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so right, go on. 
Play it down. So, uh, this is where you weren't here. So, <laughs> that session uh, was coloured by Mike wanting to make Reuben sandwiches in character because he was just hankering after some pastrami, um, in real life. I'm, I'm actually, I'm trying to remember what exactly is on a Reuben sandwich. Uh, it's, uh, pastrami, sauerkraut, and mustard, usually, and then some other things, depending on rye bread. Yeah, I can't blame him, that sounds delicious. <laughs> you guys had, uh, a couple more chats, sort of seeing what it is you're gonna have to do, how things are gonna work, and, um, eventually, basically, Zinath said to you that you were, there was an opportunity that night, if you're arrested and able, or whatever, and there was, it was about mid-afternoon, so there's an opportunity that night to go and scope out the compound where the Shadow of the White was staying. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I, I think, I think his intention was that you scope it out and see. But you guys decided, right, we're gonna sleep, we're gonna do a full rest, and we're gonna go out, and if we can do this, we'll do it. So, you know, getting into the, to the compound there, it was about crossing the town, it was, um, getting across some, some fields, getting across this, uh, river. And scoping out this compound, and they sort of got up to a point whereby um, I was actually using a 16th century town plan by John Speed to plot this thing out. So it's it's a real medieval town, and I'm not going to tell you which one though. But they they all got across there just fine, and we're looking out, and there was this palisaded enclosure. A palisade is like a a row of stakes, essentially like a wall of earth. It's a timber wall, yeah. um, behind which you have a walkway. And they weren't seeing any guards at all. Whereas, based on Karahad's military knowledge, you'd expect to see some guards, at least, at least on the corners. You know, even if they weren't walking around, they'd be stationary on the corners. Yeah. And you thought amongst yourselves, well, either they're not there, or we're just not seeing them. And if it's just that we're not seeing them, that makes me nervous. I don't want to storm this place at night if we're not seeing the guards. Hmm. So you decided to come back and on the way back, there was one cultist who, um, saw you sort of, you, uh, Kara had stumbled over a barrel and, and, and woke someone up and just ran. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and you, I think you were seen, but it was like, uh, were you? Don't know. Still don't know. So the next day, the prisoners were, I say prisoners, the, the people who, who were taken from Kerava were brought to you and you had sort of lots of interviews and things. There was a lot of people who were on the list saying, um, some of these people want to stay, some of them don't. And there were a lot more people there than were on your list. A vast amount of people were taken. You know, we're talking hundreds, not, well, well we're talking sort of, um, sort of it's 150, 200 people rather than the 37 names that you have. Yeah. So obviously they just gave the names they thought were valuable, um, or, or that they were bothered about, but there were a load of people they didn't care about. Uh, it was established that there was uh, a guard there, um, who was, uh, had a bit of an injury, had a bit of a limp, uh, who also had a bit of a history with Bleak, um, or at least a, a, a one night history with Bleak. And she said that she would take care of these people, that she would, you know, make sure they got home. Yeah. And that some, but that you shouldn't trust any of these culty people. There's more going on than they let you they let you see. 
And she, you know, she's convinced something nefarious is happening behind the scenes, but she doesn't know what. That you were given a warning as well about Gregor Kleeman, who was the name that you got told was the one person you had to make sure you brought back. Yeah. And he's on the list of people who want to stay. Okay. So it was, um, there was a friend of his, or someone who was paid to be his friend to keep an eye on him. It was actually Gareth Goulden who paid this guy to, to keep tabs on, on Gregor Kleeman. And he told you that Gregor didn't want to go. He was going to stay. Uh-huh. And that he was someone important. He hadn't figured out who he was, but he knew damn well that his name wasn't Gregor Kleeman and he wasn't who he said he was. You know, he, he was too free with money, too well-spoken. You know, some things were keying him off that saying this guy is not what he says he is. Uh-huh. Um, you know, sort of courtly manners and, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, things dropping in that said, you know, this guy was born to a higher station than he's, he's claiming. There was there was some discussion afterwards. You know, you all came back in the middle of the night and you caught uh, Zinath, Shadow of the Blue, uh, in his kitchen, just getting ready because he's basically this this town's governor. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's got a job to do. Um, you know, he's not just sitting there plotting, rubbing his hands together. He actually does have a job, and so um, he was you know in the kitchen waiting for you guys to get back, and he had a you know just kept talking into the night and and basically built a rapport with him. And not talking about anything, you know, not talking about anything specific, just swapping stories and, and trying to befriend him. Mm-hmm. So he goes to bed, you go, you guys go to bed for a little while and wake up and you're about to do more interviews and all that sort of crap. And like, oh, I had enough of this shit. Um, in fact, nope. <laughs> so, so no, you come back, you, you see the guy and then the day after you do, uh, all the interviews and there is, as you're doing the last of those interviews, there is a crash. A huge crash come through. And basically, I turned to a random page in the Monster Manual. <laughs> and it didn't go well. So this demon came out. Uh, for those who are interested, it is a Glabrazoo. I think is how you pronounce it. It's a huge goat-headed thing sort of anthropomorphic goat-headed thing with four arms, two of which are kind of like normal proportion, but come out where the armpits are, and the, the, the two larger arms above it end in these huge claws, yeah. pincers. And so this thing came steaming through, and there was it's like a, one of the cultists came along and said, uh, it was... Um, the, the, it was another one of these guys, one of the chosen, uh, who you have met... Um, you know, cut, his, cut himself. And this thing appeared and it just murdered him. And then it's just rampaging. So there's, there's more crashes, whatever. And this thing appears in the marketplace across this, from this guy's house and mm. just starts tearing apart. So everyone rushes to, to go and get him. And, you know, so Karahad charges in and Zinath charges in with his sword. He's, he's a big warrior type. And, you know, it's like an old soldier. So he just charges in and they're all going for it. And they're just, they're hitting him and they're doing huge amounts of damage, but it's not making any difference. And this guy just takes Karahad out, um, almost, almost to zero hit points. He basically clears off about all but three hit points or something in one hit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cause he gets four attacks per turn and spells. So he can attack like five or six times really. And so he's like, carving down and carving down and he's just 
And the idea was he didn't actually stop at any point. He was just running and he was coming through the marketplace. And these guys are running up to him, engaging him in combat, but he's running past them as they're doing this. So, and he's just like lashing out and bum, 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 bum. But he's moving past and they've got attacks of opportunity and everything and still not taking this guy down. And so he gets up to the door to Zinath's house where Bleak had set up and he'd thrown, um, he'd thrown Gimbal behind him. And that's yeah. why he wasn't engaged in combat because as his action, he had to throw Gimbal back to, to get him into the house to protect him. And so this guy's charging forward and he just barrels into Bleak and kills him outright. Okay. Dead. Oh. So not even... So how? Okay. For dead, my dead in a sense that yeah. as, as it was happening, Mike passed me a note and it said, kill Bleak. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, fine, I'll do that. And... um because um you know mike has had a few problems playing bleak yeah and mostly i think because he didn't come to the character creation session and bleak was also a character concept he had in mind from a long time ago mm. so he was already written like he was like a level 10 character and yeah. it was, it was fr- always being frustrated that he couldn't do all these cool things um but the idea was he's supposed to be a level one and it's something that every role player kind of has um when they they do their first real characters is it's it it's always too much, and if you develop a character concept too far, then you can't engage with the story. You know you can't. And, and like my directions to you guys were create characters that want to take part in the story. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, uh, and he'd, he'd been having problems with him thinking. You know, is it for for a while saying I, I'm not sure I like how I'm playing Bleak and I'm not sure that the character can really go on and he's looking at other characters and things like that and I still don't know what he's going to play um, That's that was his out and I think he saw this thing going right this is my chance to, to get Bleak away without walking away without walking away without having any of us try and stop him and yeah okay I, yeah, can, I can see the logic of that so from that um, I'm telling you now that he dropped to zero hit points. Yeah. Now, if the character does not want to be revived, no healing works. That's 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 D and D canon. Um, yeah. So it's it's a way of a, of a player character going, no, you're not bringing me back. <laughs> However, he's dropped to zero hit points. Now that does mean he can be brought back, but he uh, Bleak is now an NPC. Okay. Um, but a dead NPC. <laughs> so. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm, he's probably just dead, to be honest. So Bleak is dead, and that was where we left that one. Dungeons and Dragons is owned by Wizards of the Coast. The song was Shards of Glass by Louis Barabbas and the Bedlam Six. If you want to get in touch with us, it's swordnutradio at gmail.com. That's swordnutradio at gmail.com. Or if you want to get in touch on Twitter, it's at swordnutradio. Thanks for listening. Wow, okay. Uh, <laughs> Rue's biggest fear has been realised. Yeah. Um, but well, then not again, quite his biggest fear. His, his biggest fear is on the horizon, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. But I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to stop you being a warlock or take your patron away. So there's going to be some uh, coming to grips with things. So Rue might start growing as a character. Um, 
because he, he, he hasn't really changed his outlook on things he hasn't had an arc yet yeah. so he's not started his, his character journey so this might be where it starts indeed yeah. this is the, where the pressure comes in to wander around kill things yeah I can do that oh I've just failed oh dear what do I do now so um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there it'll be very interesting to see how Mike deals things and I've got an idea for how I want things to play out so the next time we sit down um, I'm almost certain because everyone was on board um, I think you, you told Mike as well that your plan was to kill this Shadow of the Blue guy and just like have done with this and say look we can have everything here because um, that, was, that was what Mike said I don't know if it's true <laughs> So um, we, should, we should kill him. I think I think we were kind of working on the theory that um, we were maybe gonna work with him and then kill him because because the thing because last night uh, last time yeah. the last session I was involved with we hadn't actually established yet whether Mike was becoming the Shadow of the Black. Yeah. Where, whether it's because Bleak had accepted this power, he was becoming the new Shadow of the Black. We were still unsure of that. So we were kind of working on the theory that if that was the case, we were all kind of looking at each other going, well, there's four of us and there's five stones, so we could all have one and have a spare. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, we're all thinking of, you know, going along with it and then maybe killing them all off and taking it for ourselves. Yeah. Well, what came out of um, this as well is that the Shadow of the Green mm. um, and the Shadow of the Red and what their locations were. Now, you guys basically said, uh, yeah, Shadow of the White is in a fortification right now. Is there anything else we can do? And they said, well, the Shadow of the Green is miles to the north. And the way Kotev is built, it's basically one great big peninsula around the sea. Yeah. It's like a, a C-shaped uh, peninsula. And so the mainland is, is on the left-hand side on the east, uh, where you've got Anish. And there's this little spit of land that comes up, curves around, and there's sea above, sea below. But this big round sea, you know, um, saltwater sea yeah. uh, that it's around. So it's all the way around the coast up to the north, whereas you're on the east point of the compass. The green would be on the north point of the compass there. Yeah. And saying, well, you could go, but it's a long, boring trip over land, or we could sort you out with a boat. But the white is here. Why not? Yeah. Um, and what was happening is that you guys were almost getting to the point where saying, let's go deal with the green first and then come down for reasons that I have no idea I have absolutely no idea why you're thinking that <laughs> but there you go um, maybe we see so the idea just, of like here's, here's a fortification with hundreds and hundreds of people in there but the green is off doing something that no one knows what so he's isolated and or she actually is isolated and probably doesn't have an army so yeah. probably easier to deal with and the so red just, the red is kind of like is in another place um, yeah. we didn't say where uh, just saying that you know you have to earn certain information because everything's on the table but you're saying some information you're going to have to earn before I trust you so, so you're going to have to do something before he tells you where the red is 